Well, good afternoon to you. This is Alan Seymour, your host here on Future of Sport, episode 38. Delighted this afternoon, return visit, renowned journalist John Dillon. John, I want to kick off. There are lots and lots of issues uh, around fan engagement and particularly maybe uh, some of the issues, incidents, uh, atmospheres at, at football grounds at the moment. So tell us a little bit about the recent article that you've written for the London Evening Standard. Hello there. Yeah, well, uh, the piece uh, in question, uh, it was sparked off by the coincidence of two events, really. Right. Um, the Liverpool Man City Champions League uh, quarter-final, first leg at Anfield, and the sort of extraordinary uh, actions of the crowd there. I've been in Anfield on European nights like that in particular. I remember that famous semi-final against Chelsea in 2005, yeah. uh, when the place is just bursting with noise and emotion, and there's, I doubt there's anywhere else in the game that can touch that. Uh, and certainly on that night against Chelsea, um, the crowd played a part in the game, as, as they seem to against City as well. And the, sort of in my mind, there was a sudden juxtaposition with um, a uh, the latest news which had come out about Tottenham's new ground, right. and, and furthermore, the ongoing situation with what's happened to West Ham and their stadium. And uh, and the, the, the initial premise of the piece was was sort of about why stadiums in London aren't like Anfield, you know, you might at one time have thought Upton Park came close in terms of fervour and uh, uh, sort of soulfulness, um, but sadly that's been and gone. Um, but I was really sparked off by the contrast between uh, what happened at Anfield and the announcement that had come the week before um, of the ticket prices at the new Tottenham Stadium, and yeah. suddenly all the feel-good news that they've been around there seemed to start evaporating because it's going to be very expensive and for most fans and they're looking at price on X of 25, 30, 35, 40% um, and that had been a feel-good story for Spurs for the past two years you know as the team had got better there was a prospect of this fabulous new stadium um, and it was like sort of suddenly reality bit you know, how, how, you know who's going to be asked to pay for it the fans are basically you know um, and doing a bit of reading I then came across the fact or I was reminded of the fact that um Following protests at Anfield a couple of years back, John Henry and his um, chums um, decided that they'd made a ricket in attempting to put up the prices and that um, season ticket prices have been frozen and will be a game for next season. And I just thought, well, that surely played a part in what happened in the game against City because there might have been a different feeling around the club if, if the owners had just ploughed ahead gone ahead with that price rise regardless of the feelings of the fans and their protests so it, it, it was just something that struck me that, 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 that ought to be debated really you know uh, and um, that I guess you could argue that the owners got to their reward for what they did <laughs> by the fact that Liverpool are now in the Champions League semi-finals you know um, you know what John I'm going to interrupt now I could listen to that story and I know as we unfold our interview today it'll be in kind of 
two or three parts at least, but this is a great starting point. And that reference that you've just made there, I mean, you've got to admit that, you know, everybody, fans all over, tribal fans, and particularly if you go back in time history, there is a disconnect in lots and lots of places. But our owners there, and I say our owners, the, the, the owners of Liverpool Football Club, as you know, and my audience does my club, they made a huge mistake. They started calling the customers, treating them a bit like Gillette and Hicks had as part of a franchise, maybe, or certainly as customers. And lots of fan groups in Liverpool, I know particularly Spirit of Shanklet, were very, very forthcoming in their notional protest. And, and perhaps we could talk about protest later on with what you know you referred to as what's happened at, maybe, at, maybe at West Ham. But they listened. And I think fans and owners and traditions and all the stakeholders, for want of a better business term, if you like, have proven that it can be done. And I think with Liverpool particularly, and maybe with some other clubs, that, you know, to listen and to get this response plays a huge part. I mean, what do you think, John, is the magic of what Liverpool do and what perhaps atmospheres need to be, maybe not just in football because you've travelled the world in, in, in other sports, what would be kind of your template of success for, for, for real fan fervour in a stadium watching a match? Well, well, credit to John Henry and, uh, and the New England group for listening, basically. And, you know... Um, they admitted they'd made a mistake yeah. as well. They didn't sort of, uh, they didn't back down grudgingly. You know, they sort of held their hands up. And uh, perhaps that comes from their involvement, you know, in America. Uh, the Boston baseball team is one of the more traditional ones as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, so yeah. yeah. They are more in tune with that sort of thing than uh, than other uh, owners might have been. Um, I think you have to set Anfield apart in terms of a more broader template for these sort of things because um, so many different factors have, have, have gone into the mix of making Anfield what it is. Um, you know, um, there's the club's record of success in European football, which is clearly what makes, um, you know, uh, European nights so special. Absolutely. There's the fact that a lot of that success came at a time when the city was economically on its knees uh, and uh, so the team was uh, representing the city and uh, and sort of bringing something to a place that you know that was in real trouble um, uh, you've got you know the, the whole mixture of Hillsborough High School everything going into mm. that there's the fact that it's uh, a waterfront dockside city as well um, and you couldn't replicate all those things anywhere else on earth, really, you know, so now I think that's what makes Anfield special. I mean, um, when... But, uh, sorry, go ahead. Tim. No, I, I mean, I, I don't want to interrupt necessarily, but I just want to touch on that, because I, I, I think, you know, that the kind of social fabric, for want of a better expression, or the, the kind of community ethos, do you think that this is not only a factor maybe in suggesting what you've done that you can't replicate Anfield, but maybe it's also the reason why it's very, very difficult for other kind of stadia and owners and fans. You know, take the Man City parallel here, maybe, where they've gone away from Main Road, which was their spiritual home, and now gone, you know, to, 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 to which was, the, I think it was the Commonwealth Games Stadium originally, but have gone to a, a newer stadium, and the, the difficulty there. What are your thoughts on that, John? 
Well, I'm sure they're up. I mean, you know, Man City have played some fabulous football this season. The stadium is very well set up, you know, and that's uh, because when it was built, designed and built for the Commonwealth Games, it was always uh, with uh, the fact in mind that it would become a football stadium afterwards. Yeah. The surrounding areas, there's loads of parking. The transport is good since they opened the tram system in Manchester. Yeah. Takes you right out from uh, Piccadilly out to the... Uh, to the centre there, uh, to the stadium, and they've got City have done very well in terms of their fan engagement uh, around the stadium. They've got lots of bars and they have bands playing and all sorts of things. It's not your traditional red brick uh, football experience, and I'm sure there are people there, older supporters who probably pine for Main Road, um, yeah, because it's because it you know it had grit and soul and history about it, you know. But um, I guess. The delicate balancing act for football clubs, particularly in England, where where the game is so deeply rooted in the sort of folk and social customs and traditions of, of, of the big cities and towns, uh, the trick is to move into the future without completely abandoning that feeling of the past. You know, I mean, Anfield has been redeveloped, uh, and they seem to have done a good job of that. It hasn't lost anything at all. Uh, City is a nice new modern stadium. Uh, albeit it's not Main Road at the other end of the scale unfortunately from my own point of view we've got the dreadfully named London Stadium <laughs> which is about as far removed from Upton Park uh, in terms of atmosphere uh, uh, soulfulness feeling and whatever um, as, as, as West Ham could have could have done really really leaving Upton Park <laughs> and the, the irony being that you know of the big bigger London clubs um Upton Park was always the the most real, real is the right word, but uh, was almost the most the most earthy place, particularly at night games. You know, and that's why the supporters have had such trouble adjusting to where they are now because it's so. You know, I, you know, other friends of mine they sort of call it Moonbase Alpha, things like that, because it's so barren and desolate around it, and it's such a vast, awkwardly designed bowl on the inside, and it's absolutely everything Upton Park. Wasn't and people don't follow West Ham in for you know um, for success or whatever they follow West Ham for the purpose of following West Ham basically you know and the ground was a very very well we're back live with uh, John just a minor hiccup there we're talking John about comparisons of fan further if you like and, and I think you've nicely segued for me differences and maybe differences in atmosphere that relate to moving from your traditional home and maybe also the, 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 the kind of sensitive subject of owner fan relationships so tell us a little bit about West Ham and your experiences and everything to do with your support for West Ham well I mean you know clearly um, the, the fans feel marooned if you like you know I think it's going to take years to settle into um, this place look it's done and dusted it's not going to change okay. you know they're there for 99 years or whatever um, but a lot of people probably feel that the club is never going to be the same club you know I mean quite apart from all the issues of uh, of the sort of the atmosphere and the design of the stadium itself the pitch is miles away you know mm. um, uh, and I think there's a lot of resentment in that a lot of supporters feel that they were hoodwinked a bit by the owners, uh, in that they were 
told, oh, the sight lines are only going to be this far, it's the same as Wembley and whatever, and clearly uh, it doesn't look that way when you're in there. You know, poor Stavon Bilic, when he was in charge with his um, yep. dodgy hit, was sort of, um, you, you, you saw him on Match of the Day, sort of limping out for, for sort of 40 yards out to the side of the pitch, and then back to his dugout, you know. Um, and further to that, I mean, the fundamental difference, you know, is that... Um, what is now the Etihad Stadium at Man City was designed uh, with the express purpose of it becoming a football stadium Absolutely. for the club afterwards. This was the, the, the opposite was true at um, the London Stadium. God knows who came up with that name, the London Stadium. It's <laughs> dreadful as well, but I mean, it's clear what they're trying to do there. I mean, that's a marketing tool that appeals to the Far East or something. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, um, sometimes it feels like going to the cinema. 
I mean, John, can, can I just come in here? Because we started the interview, uh, and, and rightly so, because obviously you, you've written an article for the London Evening Standard, and, and I'm sure it's provoked lots and lots of interest, as it has broadly, uh, or on a much more broader scale, in what I've picked up on, and, and, and this whole issue of maybe fan engagement, different fan experiences, the owner fan relationships. But the, the comparison between London and the London Stadia and, and, and obviously what's happened uh, with Anfield, the phrase that I picked up on that you've used is it doesn't feel or seem like a football stadium. And I think the problem here is, you know, can you recreate it when you move? Uh, is there such a thing as a, a kind of template model for going forward of what a proper football stadium should be? Now, noise is vital, clearly viewing and the kind of experience you get there, but are owners trying to create that before they've even got anything in place, like a good team and like maybe the, the, the good history and traditions that go with it. What are some of your thoughts on some or all of those things, John? Well, I mean, the West Ham situation is, 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 it has its own parameters, if you like, because I guess the owners would have been slaughtered if they hadn't seized the chance to move there because they'd have been accused of lacking vision mm. and ambition. It was a bit of a bit of a catch-22 in that way. But I think one of the great examples in the modern game, and I used it in the piece, uh, is the Juventus Correct. situation. Yeah. Uh, ironically, it was Juventus who came to West Ham for the friendly, which sort of officially declared open uh, the new place. Um, but they spent 26 years in the wilderness at the um, the Rotten Stadio Dolly Alpi, which was built for 1990 World Cup. I went to several games there, and it always felt, it was just, it had a running track, it felt open and desolate, it was out on the edge of the city, uh, it was quite dangerous and nasty around it as well, and it always, just like the old Wembley, all the concrete always seemed to be dripping with water, um, and, uh, you know, their, their, their crowds went down, the biggest club in Italy, their crowds were down to about 25,000 by the time wow. they left there, um, since they moved and, and into this fabulous, you know, they, they seem to have got the design of this new place right. It's very tightly enclosed, very steep, a nice big sort of square stadium, but mod it's very modern as well. Um, you know, Juventus, I think they've won the title six times since they, yep. since they moved. They've been, in, they've been in two Champions League finals and they've staged a Europa League final at that stadium as well. So, look, I guess they're the owners, you know, it's... Juventus is on, you know, it isn't the ownership reason is different from from Absolutely. Premier League, clubs, yeah. but you know, it shows what you can get out of getting these things right. If you're, if if you were the owner of an English club seeking profit, you know, that's that's the that's the reward you can get out of getting these things right. You know, and conversely, uh, you would lose all that if you get them wrong. You know, and. Um, West Ham situation, you know, clearly they're nowhere near as big a club as Juventus, um, but they've they've sort of they've had to take an opportunity. I yeah. wanted to take an opportunity, but the the fundamentals of it were wrong, and I think they're going to be going to be wrong for a long time. In the end, Juventus had to bite the bullet and leave the Stadio Alpi after 26 years, and who knows? 
that may be the case 20 years down the line for West Ham. I mean, John, I think you've articulated and, and really emotionally and, 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 and very, if I can use the phrase it, very simply put the case very strongly there. I think it's a marvellous, um, you know, um, example and, and, and actually not ironically, kind of nicely segues into another point that I wanted to develop with you. Using perhaps Juventus and to a lesser, well, not to a lesser extent, to a similar extent, maybe uh, an example of what's gone on uh, at West Ham. Uh, protesting and fan protesting and without going too far and too deep in it with all the sensitivities um, that, that, that kind of go on um, you know Buffon bowed out a uh, bit of controversy or a large amount of controversy and, and I want to really just talk about some fan issues that generate the, ro- the wrong kind of atmosphere or maybe obviously um, similarly the wrong kind of um, image for football in terms of, the, of, of protest. Is there some legitimacy or is there some middle ground here? And, and, and I'm just intrigued perhaps, John, because you've been around the block like I have, but you've been around the block in terms of reporting and writing and, 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 on subjects relate, relating to some issues like this. What some of your thoughts are on that? Well, I mean, look, clearly there are some clubs where, you know, the fans could protest and make as much noise as they like, and the owners are not interested in, yeah. you know, Arsenal uh, being one. You know, there's, there's been complaints there for years now about Arsenal Wenger. Uh, I'm not arguing the case here for, you know, either way, yeah. uh, but what is clear from it is that thus far, the ownership haven't taken a blind bit of notice of what all those protesting fans um are protesting about. Yeah. You know, well, that's their prerogative, you know, and God forbid that a football club should be run by its fans because, you know, it's like the old thing about a camel being a horse put together by a committee, isn't it? You know, <laughs> so there are inherent problems in Absolutely. that. Absolutely. You know, I, I guess that the things that football clubs will listen to fans about are things about the, ex- the match day experience, yep. you know, the seating, the ticketing, um, the price of drinks and stuff like that. When it comes to team matters and the direction of uh, how the club is run football-wise, you know, be it, whether, you know, be it recruitment or anything like that, they've got to run the club as they see fit, haven't they? Whether Absolutely. it's right or wrong, you yep. know. Um, it's, uh, uh, otherwise, we're... we're Therein lies madness, basically. You know, if if they get that sort of thing wrong, um, the owners of any club that gets that sort of thing wrong will pay the price in terms of reduced income from lack of success and perhaps falling attendances and stuff like that. So, you know, that's that's probably often the way to hit those hit people is in the pocket, isn't it? It's, Absolutely. Uh, it really counts. So, but uh, fan engagement is really about. Spectating issues, isn't it? Really, uh, yeah. You know? uh, and I know in this age of social media and uh, Twitter and Facebook, and everything, it's a great buzzword, fan engagement. I mean, that seems to me to um, basically also cover the fact that football clubs putting out endless juvenile rubbish on Twitter yeah. um, of people doing keepy uppies in training or whatever, or, or uh, you know, all this ludicrous pro. Um, practice that a lot of them now have of uh, putting out goals that are scored in training and claiming that they're world class and yeah. asking, did you see that? I know why they're doing it, it's all, to, it's all for marketing purposes, it's all to help their sponsors and that, but you know, as much as we love football, you know, we can have enough of it as well, you know. And I uh, think you've hit on something that's very important there, John. 
and, and I want to move finally in, a, in a, a minute or two just to one or two broader fan issues, but just commenting on that, um, where is uh, a line drawn, maybe? Because I read an article today, or I certainly read a comment today, that I think it's Weatherspoons, you know, the, the brewery uh, chain, are actually pulling out all of their social media platforms for the very some of the very reasons that you've just stated. And I know it's a, also, perhaps, you know, thinking about um, the Buffon incident and, 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 and some really terrible uh, kind of social media responses, reactions to uh, Michael Oliver, um, and his wife and so on and so forth I don't want to get into that debate necessarily but they uh, Weatherspoons are saying you know and, and it applies to Liverpool in fact that there have been so many people trolling uh, Lovren and Henderson that they've decided just yeah. to um, you know forget it and move on and so what, what, what do you think is the balance or what are your views on that John? Well, I, look, it, it can unleash some nasty sort of uh, monsters come at social media, Absolutely. you know, uh, particularly where football, which is very tribal, is uh, is in, in you know is is involved. I mean, it's probably it's probably added to that sense of um, this, this ingrained sense of intolerant tribalism that exists throughout the game now. You know, mm. I mean, I'm going back a long time, but it really is true that you know people in London would go to watch Arsenal one week. Spurs the next week because they were football fans yeah. you know uh, and there are generations of fans who have grown up now who, who, who would find that unthinkable because they think that um, wearing some kind of hatred on their sleeve is some kind of badge of honour for them and social, social media just in, you know we saw those incidents I think it was at the, at the second leg of the Liverpool City game there was a bit of publicity for uh, a, a fight that broke out because there were some City fans infuriated that was a Liverpool fan in yeah. that section you know um, that, you know, because somebody filmed that on their phone it ends up all over social media well how ludicrous you know I mean you know, they're all there to watch a football game but you know that's that's part of what this does but also beyond that in terms of the way that football clubs use it as a marketing tool there's just too much of it okay. you know and yeah. um, it's it's all through, a lot of it comes through a sort of fixed grin, doesn't it? You know, look yeah. how crazy the players are, what they've been doing in training, or, you know, uh, here's the team bus arriving at Goodison Park. You know, well, we all know what a team bus looks like. Yeah. And, you know, how, how much... You know, how much of a thrill is it really to see a film of a bus pulling up in the road outside a building? Yeah, know? I always, uh, John, if I could come, I always smile, and it's more than a smile now, it's an irritant, you know, uh, transfer deadline day, and waiting, and here's the car driving up, and he's in there somewhere, somewhere, you know, it, 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 yeah. it's just an awesome... Well, look, look, you know, you know get, <laughs> back to the old days of journalism, it would be more of a story... Uh, if the Liverpool team bus didn't pull up at Goodison Park, <laughs> brilliant. Then the game's off, isn't it? So, uh, look, John, I, I want to say. Be aware of the times, and I don't want to sound like no, a, no. you know, an old stick in the mud. But some of it is pushes the limits of sort of um, humour and tolerance and and, and absolutely interest to the limit, doesn't it? Really? Yeah. yeah, John. I mean, I want to say before we close on this interview, I've got about five more minutes or so. But I, I, it's just brilliant to be able to to talk to you and uh, you know my audience and my listeners I, I know the buzz that they get for 
as having detailed and, and, and really good conversation and let's talk the issues and we might not always agree but there's a lot a lot of things in our beautiful game uh, and, and in the business of sport and in the business of particularly football that we can talk about I've got two more issues that I'd just like to run by you um, we've touched on fan issues here and again I've tried to relate it to modern stage or a new clamour for modern stadium against the backdrop maybe uh, uh, of Liverpool and, and, and it's quite a sensitive issue but you know the, ter- the, the, the fact of standing in grounds and I know it's been raised um, positively in a lot of quarters at the moment, do you have a view on uh, you know standing or return to um, you know fans being able to stand well, in stadium? I know that uh, a lot of people are convinced by the technical arguments of yeah. new kind of um, things that have been developed to allow this. I have to say that I I have an inherent sort of feeling in the back of my mind that so many bad things have happened and so many people have mm. died that uh, um, I just have a, a sort of a basic opposition to going back to that uh, yeah. idea. Um, but, you know, if I were to, you know, if someone were to make a detailed presentation to me, uh, explaining the benefits, I think, uh, of what they were trying to bring in at West Brom, how uh, they were talking about, um, then I'd be open-minded to, to, to be convinced. Uh, and certainly, you know, there is more atmosphere when fans are standing. You know, yeah. but, um, I've just got... To, I've just got an inherent wearing. Yeah, I mean, John, I, I'm, I'm really... And we often see as well that... You know, often there is violence just lingering beneath the surface, isn't there? Absolutely. You know, which occasionally bursts out again as well, doesn't it? You know. John, I needed to ask you that question, and and, and, and I think you've made a very uh, sensitive, reasoned, and, 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 and a response that I genuinely myself have, have have that inherent fear as well. But you know, we need to have the debate, and, and in anything like these kind of issues, uh, the more uh, articulate or the more evidence produced, and everyone can make a, uh, an informed decision on it. That's the thing that I, I, I not only worry about, but I think it's the thing that needs to be put more, more, most uh, importantly to make that change back to those situations. One final question for you, John, and again, it's a kind of broad question in many ways, but it does relate to the business of sport uh, and the future of sport, maybe. Um, UEFA, FIFA, world governing bodies. I mean, we're about to enter, you know, very soon a, a, a brand new World Cup. Um, this talk about changing the format of it again and maybe billionaires coming in and being able to uh, put more money into it. Uh, have you got a, uh, an inside track on this or, or, or what are your views? What have you heard well, about? You have, uh, FIFA, I mean, FIFA are not only you know, uh, talking now about expanding the World Cup to 48 teams, which uh, I mean, it's going to be unwieldy enough in Russia you know, yeah. uh, with 32. Uh, they are also attempting to sort of shoehorn some extra competitions in, aren't they? Yeah. You know, we, we know what this is. It's the race for television money, isn't it? You know, there's an there's an endless appetite for televised football. It's all about who gets there first, isn't it? Really, you know, whether yeah. it's the clubs or, or or FIFA. You know, I'm sure they are very. Um, I'm sure FIFA are very wary of this international Champions Cup yeah. that takes place in America every. Summer, uh, and involve most of the biggest clubs in the game 
on a sort of round robin sort of um, they're playing all over the US don't they, they yeah. massive crowds uh, you know you can watch AC Milan v Real Madrid or whatever you know in Minnesota and it's massively popular um, and I think you know that that that's going to that to me is the precursor of some kind of world league possibly you know or some kind of um, further international club competition um, you know, there's some very powerful people behind that, and it's gradually becoming established, isn't it? And I, I think probably FIFA, um, up against the European Clubs Association as well, uh, want to get their, their slice of that pie before it disappears to the clubs. Um, in the end, you know, what are we going to say? There's going to be too much football, but I think they've probably um, they've harmed the World Cup as a brand, for want of a better phrase, or as a as an entity, if you like, I, I, you know, it still rankles with me that this World Cup is in Russia. Uh, the reason being that all throughout the build-up to that decision being made, um, when England were bidding for the tournament, uh, FIFA forever making lots of noise uh, about their sort, of, you know, but politically correct noises about inclusivity and uh, and and race and, and all those kind of issues and sexism and stuff like what we had here in England was basically there was a World Cup taking place in London every international break anyway because you've got lots of African, Australian, South American teams playing friendlies here because there are huge populations from just about every nation on Absolutely. Earth. Um, add to that you know so add, add to that we were farthest down the line in dealing with racism and homophobia and all those other issues that people are about. All the stadiums are all ready, some of the most famous stadiums in world football, and it was about time we had it again, you know, but in particular, you know, um, you know, the international games have taken place at Fulham, Millwall, Leighton Orient, you know, um, Brentford, uh, and got huge crowds as well. Brazil, I think Brazil have played eight, nine times at the Emirates. Yeah, and I mean also, John, which is most... Uh, so, uh, they've harmed it and then after that Qatar you know you've got you've got a run of where the World Cup having reached Brazil you know another of its spiritual homes if you like in 2014 has suddenly um, uh, could lose a lot of its allure over this next eight years just at a time when the clubs are looking to increase their power and and, and sees more of the pie for themselves. Absolutely. And, I mean, just to make some summations, I couldn't agree with you more. Glad I asked you the question. We share a lot of similarities in terms of our views, not on all of them, but I think audiences need to hear that, and, and I'm sure will uh, promote and provoke a lot more debate along the subjects. Before I let you go, John, I think one other thing that really has come out of uh, uh, of my conversations with you uh, this afternoon on all of these issues is you know what do we want from sport and, and particularly maybe what do we want from football and our kind of teams that we go uh, and support because we, we, we started your article kind of talked yeah, about atmosphere yeah. no it's fine we, we talked about the atmosphere uh, at clubs you know you make the comment rightly that FIFA and everybody else is chasing uh, the money and chasing the uh, broadcast rights, etc. Can we ever envisage a situation where maybe we can start to almost downsize again and get more and more community sport, get more and more locality sport, but still do it at, to you know to the best or even at professional standard? Well, I think you know, 
Uh, I, I'm, I, I doubt it. I tell you, I, I, I think the main thrust of the game now is always going to be about business because it, its popularity is endless and growing all the time. And over the last 10, 15 years, they've worked out how to, uh, how to turn it into a, a massive corporate yeah. marketing vehicle. And, um, it, it, you know, the, 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 the sums involved are astronomical. Um, and that's not going to change as, you know, um, so-called emer- emerging markets and stuff are, are sort of exploit- exploited, you know, for those reasons. Um, now, whether that leads to a trickle-down um, and, and an improvement in sort of, you know, clubs do a lot of work in, in these areas, you know, sometimes you wonder whether it's all just lip service, so, uh-huh. you know. Um, but if it has the effect of um, delivering sports facilities for inner city areas, for example, then whatever the reason, then, then that's, that's to the good. But I think that globally, football is, is just one of the biggest industries on the planet now, and it's only going to get bigger. Okay. Um, and yeah. that, if you like, at its top level, it's going to make it even more remote from what it once was. Yeah. I think we both have a wish, John, that, yeah, that will continue. It will continue to exist, but I still think there's a place for lots, lots more to discuss and hopefully lots, lots more to emerge. I thank you immensely again today, John. We've had another fascinating insight from you and really enjoyed it. So you take care. We'll keep in touch and, you know, keep promoting the beautiful game, if you would, John, for us. Thanks, mate. Cheers.